for technology people, there's always a tend to see to start with technology. And I think it's really important to step back and start with the, the problem and the user experience and then kind of work out what the technology solution is. Let's be realistic. Like people think in solutions first. Like I think this, so it's both true that we should be more problem centric. And it is also true that that is almost never the genesis of like any project. There's some really delicate timing that no one talks about, but I've been way too early and it was terrible and I haven't been too late, but I assume that's equally bad, but there's a time where things shift that it gets very interesting. Hey everyone, welcome to the fifth episode of the Backdrop Podcast, a show focused on helping builders figure out how to bring new things to life in frontier tech. This conversation was recorded as part of Backdrop Build V2, a four-week program supporting people launching something new in crypto and AI. In this conversation, we talked about building at the frontier. And the meta question in a lot of ways was, is it actually different from building, period? On the one hand, it's about identifying a big problem and a specific user and starting point, shipping iterations of that thing and building momentum, which is you know just building 101. But on the other hand, you really do have to be fairly obsessed about the unique opportunities and shifting winds in a given area. For example, Will talks about riding the wave of these communities that exist you know, uniquely in crypto. As always, there is no one size fits all answer. But if you listen closely, I think you can start to peel those things apart. So let's get into it. Welcome, everyone. Good morning. Good evening. For those of you who decided to wake up in the middle of the night to join us, I'm sure there are some of you. Thank you for being here. I'm super stoked for this first fireside chat as part of Backdrop Build. For those of you who are joining that are not part of Backdrop Build, we are running a four-week program to support builders at very very early stages, going from zero to launch over the course of the four weeks in, in crypto and AI. And yeah, we run these events to get people inspired, you know, pumped up to, to keep building. And we actually have a pretty amazing group of people here today, three, three awesome builders. I was telling them I definitely lost some sleep this week, trying to kind of get my head around everything that the three of you have done. Good news is that I'm, I'm not going to try to explain it. So I think, we, you know, let's just kick it off with some intros and maybe Michael, you were, you were here first, so I'll pick on you. Cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm Mike Dempsey. I run a fund called Compound or thesis driven research centric investment fund. Invest early across a bunch of categories of AI to robotics, to bio, to crypto. And yeah, generally love just thinking through companies and sectors that feel too early and feel like you carry way too much risk. And that's where we, we have to spend time. Prior to that, I had spent time building research and data teams and startups and other types of investing as well. Amazing. Maybe I'll pop over to Will. Hey, all, I'm Will. I'm a co-founder of Syndicate, where we build out really simple REST APIs for NFT tooling. I was also on the core team of Constitution DAO, where I focused on navigating the bid process and compliance, and then I also worked on Adventure Gold for the Loot ecosystem, uh, which was a very, very wild time. And then, yeah, I've been excited about emerging tech for a long time. Got into crypto in 2013. Um, in 2017, when crypto was very hyped, I did a AI startup, kind of like a chat GPT precursor. So yeah, very excited to be here. Sweet. All right, Aaron, you're, you're last. Yeah, uh, Aaron from Futureverse, and we're a media tech company that's building at the intersection of Web3, AI, and uh, gaming. We we built infrastructure to make the idea of interoperability work. We built tooling with AIGC to allow people to conjure those worlds, and we pair that up with 
the world's largest brands to bring that content to life and demonstrate it all in action. Been building in Web3 since 2016 full-time. I also run a fund on the side and like Michael, we invest in things that you probably shouldn't do. At the edge of technology, about 60 portfolio companies around the world. Crazy. Well, I think that maybe it's a good segue. I have some harder hitting questions at some point, but I thought one maybe good place to to start because like I said, I think even if you hear it in the intros, all three of you have done and are doing a, a lot of stuff. So like if you know, let's imagine that we give you 10 incremental hours per week, you know, of, of just free building time, which obviously sounds like a, I'm sure a luxury. What, what would you be kind of building or exploring? Like, what do you think if you just put on your builder hat or, you know, building something brand new, what's kind of exciting to you at the moment? And anyone who has an idea can kind of jump in. 10 hours would be um, probably for sleep if I had it, but, <laughs> but I, th- I think like, because I've done, you know, stuff in a lot of the fields that we'd probably talk about today in, in crypto and in AI and, and digital identity and, and clean tech, a bunch of, bunch of stuff like that. I think the things that are probably most interesting to me would be something in robotics or energy. I think those two, two things are like really interesting things that you know, robotics is going to be one of the, the next, I think, big, um, game changes in terms of the way society functions and how we can, how we can improve a bunch of services around the world to people, um, who don't get them today in the same way that AI has that opportunity and and the two are kind of naturally linked together. And also I, I think on the, on the other side, you know, we've got uh, the opportunity, I think, to change the geopolitical landscape for the better by solving, you know, for renewable energy. And those two things seem pretty important. Are there any places that you point people to or projects just to kind of check out kind of some of the things that you're, you're seeing? I, I don't have a p- particular go-to place. I just like scavenge across the internet really for people who are talking on these topics, follow them on Twitter or, or other platforms and and just kind of see what they're reading, where pub papers are being published on the popular forums, those kinds of things, and read read what's new and what's coming out in those areas. Go and talk to people in the industry. You sit down, have a have a drink or a lunch with someone who's building in that space, and just listen to them and understand what what problems and challenges they're seeing and solving. There's not like a go-to source. I think for a lot of the stuff, Michael might have something you know, more um, intelligent to say, but um, when you're, when you build it, when you're trying to do stuff that's at the edge, um, you've really got to scavenge for it because there isn't like this kind of mainstream doctrine. Yeah. My, my answer is a little, a little maybe more capitalistic uh, in interest, but it's, there's, there's this like famous saying, which is like the power of intelligence originates from our immense diversity. And so it's from some paper or something, but there's a bunch of research papers that have come out recently around how to giving personality and long-term memory to AI agents and having those things interact with each other to generate insights. So basically self, self-play, self-conversation amongst multiple types of personality-driven agents. So we've been spending a ton of time there. That's probably like the week of Thanksgiving and the week between Christmas and New Year's. That's like where I plan to spend a bunch of time messing around with these long contact window things, these rag pipelines, being able to create agents that have long-term memory. There was a project if anyone wants to mess around called NemGPT that spawned from this paper. And they have a very simple implementation on Discord right now. It's fully like using the open API, open AI API. So don't put anything too private in there, but you can create a full long-term memory, like 
persistent chatbot that will remember everything. And, and we've, we've seen some experiments there on even internally, we've done some stuff with having, trying to Im implant different points of view and have it debate different topics um, over long form. And so that's, that's something that we're like pretty successful with right now. We, we should definitely talk. We actually launched a startup in 2021 that was focused on exactly this problem. I think we've got about seven or eight patents in this area now around how to create scalable numbers of individual personalities that can, that can keep long-term memory and, and contextual memory that like a human does so that the conversations can flow in a more human way and less robotic way. So memory, memory that is contextual memory, as opposed to this like rote memory and that project ASM altered state machine first started on the, on the personality problem. So how can you generate lots of random personalities and assign emotional values and other things that might be interesting for generating that diversity. And then the second, the second phase has been around how do you create those um, memory trees so that you can have them interact with each other and do things like, um, composability of different kinds of memories and skills. Um, so you could teach your thing to be an expert at like. I don't know, two simple things like driving a car or, or punching someone. And then you could compose those things to create like GTA. So that's a, that's, I, that's a really fascinating area. And I, I think our kind of contextual memory product will probably launch the first iteration of that late this year or Q1, early Q1 called Murmur, Murmur Matrix. And that deals with, with that problem, but making it scalable for large numbers of users interacting in virtual spaces. And so the memory matrix can be aware of not just the, the agent's context, but also the environment's context as well. Yep. I'm, yeah, I'm definitely also fascinated by autonomous agents. There's an excellent book that I'd highly recommend to everyone here. It's called, there's, it's two books, Damon and Freedom by Daniel Suarez. They inspired DAOs, they're referenced in the Ethereum white paper, and they basically cover what happens when you combine autonomous agents and local or global economies. It's an absolutely fascinating book and very, very prescient. I do want to play with what happens when you give autonomous agents money <laughs> and let them loose on the internet. Hopefully I'll have some time over the holidays to do that and see what happens. But uh, yeah, I think that, you know, people talk about crypto XAI a lot and a lot of it's like overhyped, but like there's a very interesting core of essentially autonomous decision-making alongside immutability. You get something fascinating. Uh, yeah, the book is called Damon by Daniel Suarez. D-A-E-M-O-N. And then freedom uh, as the follow-up, which is more optimistic. Yeah, definitely. I saw, you know, Ian, Will, your, your co-founder yesterday was kind of putting out some walkthrough videos of how you string together. I think the new APIs you guys have for, you know, transacting on chain and also like GPT agents. And I, there's tons of interesting stuff. We actually have a few projects in the program that are doing that with games as well. So there's pretty interesting to see people kind of playing with, with agents and with money at the same time. So. I for sure think there's something, you know, something there. And I guess maybe another question that it feels like a good time to ask that I really wanted to ask is I think all three of you, and I'll, I'll kind of give everyone some context. I think all three of you have like, a, you've seen a lot of stuff, built a lot of stuff, you've invested in a lot of stuff. And, you, you know, I think Aaron, you, you ran a venture studio that eventually became Futureverse, you know, Will, I think you, you've somehow done like eight side projects that have all been wildly successful on top of building a company, which makes no sense. And Michael is obviously investing for, for a long time. And, and so obviously we're talking to people that are, 
you know, in, in the program, typically going from the very, very early moments, oftentimes even like trying to find that right, like seed kernel of an idea and, and kind of take it, you know, to something new. And I sometimes wonder whether, you know, building in, in search name of technology is even like the right way to think about it. So sometimes I think when you're, you know, on Twitter, you, there's like this kind of market view, which is like, oh, I'm an AI project. I'm a crypto project. Like, you know, we kind of define ourselves by these technologies, but it's, it feels like, and I think Michael, you were writing about this as well. It's like, you, you really need to be obsessed about like a very, very specific problem. And, you know, so I, I guess that's one thing I, I wonder about is like, you know, what is the right way for builders to think about like how to you know, define themselves and the thing that they're doing. And, and maybe like a, a follow-up question around that is how important is it to build for yourself? So I think this is something that you can get very different takes on. So, you know, one take is like, hey, everyone's a software developer. And so everyone's trying to build, you know, tools to help software developers. Like it's this recursive loop. And meanwhile, there's like, you know, I don't know, contractors who are managing construction workers who have like some specific problem that if you apply AI to that or something, like you all of a sudden like have a big unlock because nobody's really thinking about that specific thing. The problem is, is that maybe like you as a builder are like, that sounds cool. I don't have any idea about that problem. How do you think about finding like the right niche, you know, segment problem as like a builder kind of in relation to, you know, working in these kind of technological waves? I think you're right that you have to be obsessed about a problem more than you are about technology because and more is not the right word, but I think if you, if you see technology as a tool to solve problems and technology will evolve, so your tools will evolve over time, you know, is the problem you're solving big enough and unexploited enough that there's something worth building there? And then what, then what technology can come to solve that problem is the, is the, probably the most successful way to pro approach it. I'm sure that. There are other ways, but if you're not solving a real problem, then the technology bit doesn't matter. For technology people, there's always a tendency to start with technology. And I think it's really important to step back and start with the, the problem and the user experience and then kind of work out what the technology solution is. There's one, one product design thing we were doing with a customer and they were talking about, you know, wanting to solve this problem and what technology and it's like mobile apps at the time, I think the thing the trend to talk about and we went through this user experience with them and it ended up that if we put a green sticker on one thing and a red sticker on another thing that would solve the problem and it would do it way better and way cheaper and way faster than any other solution you could come up with sure you could come up with other solutions but that was the fastest and best solution and so like jumping to technology can lead you down a path that doesn't provide the optimal solution to a problem the second part of what you said, I think that's just a market phasing thing, like because technology starts with technology people, then you do get that like tooling infrastructure wind up before you start to get into like use cases and applications and things that apply to the more general public. I think that's an unavoidable and not even an, a desirable thing to avoid um, because you kind of need that, you know, from the genesis of a piece of technology to build up the tooling around it and then the infrastructure around it and then you can start to like build the the stack above that so i don't think that that's a necessarily a bad thing or a, an abnormal thing to happen in any technology cycle those things tend to follow each other and so 
you know, see something like AI coming out and, and a lot of, you know, or even crypto is even a better example, you know, for a long time, it was all around infrastructure and tooling before you got into the things that really mattered to consumers. And we're really only starting to see that happen in the last, you know, let's call it 18 months where people had, where the narrative's, narrative has been shifting towards user experience and adoption. I know we've talked about adoption for a long time, but like kind of really shift into that, into that next phase, probably in that late, later stage timeframe. But that's, that's, I would say quite a normal thing to happen and a good thing to happen. One thing that we were having this discussion yesterday with, with Rafa, my co-founder, like we are you know, building this event where, you know, you're decide, finding your like ideal problem, persona, whatever. It feels like it's like good best practice, like of building. And you just have this moment where you, you realize like, Builders, I mean, let's be realistic. Like people think in solutions first. Like I think this, so it's both true that we should be more problem centric. And it is also true that that is almost never the genesis of like any project. Like, I mean, that's just the reality. Like builders love thinking about solutions. You're like, oh man, maybe I could build like some kind of GPT thing that does this, like X, Y, and Z. And then you come up with this idea and then you need to like work your way back to the problem, get like obsessed with the problem. I mean, you're probably already obsessed with the problem. That's why you had that idea. But you need to like unwind that thing and then like wind it, you know, down the road. So I, I, I think it's like, you know, I, I think it's definitely true. I'm not sure that the really successful people are like sitting in a room, like, like looking at the problems and like preventing solutions from creeping into their heads until the exact right. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Obviously, I'm not like standing here as a super successful person. I just, at least I can say that that is not true of the vast majority of builders. That's not how they work. Everything that I've done, I've like waited usually five years for it to exist. But when it doesn't exist, I go and do it. So my first company was basically doing natural language processing for documentation search. And we called it uh, Librarian AI after the librarian in Snow Crash because I'd read Snow Crash and I was like, oh my God, this like encyclopedia that knows everything that you can talk with in natural language needs to exist. And then I waited five years and just didn't exist. So I thought, well, I guess I should go and do it. With Syndicate, I put money into the DAO in 2016. I was like, oh, wow. Like the idea of people collaborating through onto communities of DAOs is amazing. I hope, you know, something gets built around this. And then I waited five years and no one built anything around it. So I, I found a syndicate then. And I think that if you're obsessed with a problem, you can be way too early. Like library and AI in most of the 2017 era machine learning projects use such different paradigms that they didn't benefit at all from the new wave of LLMs. It just was such a different paradigm that like the resources they built up aren't useful. At the same time, like if you chase hype, then you're kind of like, everyone's doing the same thing. And it's very hard to differentiate. If you're obsessed with something and you can't stop thinking about it, and then a few things change and it starts to look a little more viable, like with Syndicate, the things that changed were DeFi summer, where, you know, there was more capital on chain and people were using it regularly. Then at that time, it's probably, there's some really delicate timing that no one talks about, but I've been way too early and it was terrible and I haven't been too late but I assume that's equally bad, but there's a time where things shift that it gets very interesting. Yeah. Michael, I think you've thought a lot about like founding team and like what the right components of this are, like, you know, what do you think? Yeah, I, I mean, I guess it's funny in, in a lot of deep tech areas, the opposite problem is, which is like people have cool technologies and they're like, how do I build a business around this? And what is a solution I can do with this thing? So it's a little like a weird uh, difference relative to maybe traditional software, a bunch of areas that are maybe considered more horizontal. I think like from a founding team perspective, our view is in this time frame, 
you do have to be too early to every, every emerging category. If you want to capture value as a startup, I think like we used to have really slow moving incumbents that were bad. And now we have infinite capital in private markets and infinite R and D budgets in public markets. And so to work within those frameworks, you have to one, have like a really clear understanding of if you're focusing on your problem, that's great. You also need to understand like the technological paradigms at the bleeding edge around your problem because the time has collapsed between like research, call it academia, or you can call that a bunch of people at deep mind or whatever, and production level engineering. If you're building on milestones that typically are 12 to 24 month like stretches, which is just how, you know, the drug of venture capital will push you. And that's the drug I push. Like you will have to, you, you, in that time frame, you could be leapfrogged and it could, it could be existential to your business. And so you need to understand the adjacent technologies quite well. And you need to understand like, cool, this, these are not going to impact my business or they like materially are and have like pretty strong hypotheses around those. I think that there's like totally separate ideas. Like that's my framing of like, we love teams that like have very strong hypotheses of where the future is going, continually update them. We even tell teams when they have like big questions and sometimes that's like, how much do you verticalize? How much of the stack do you own? How much do you build first buy, whatever, to write them down and email them to themselves every month or two so they can have an unbiased view of what those kind of point of time thoughts were. The separate idea, which is how Chris Stellenswela, who runs Runway ML, operate now, his view is you need to have the maximum number of ideas into the world as possible, and that is how you find the correct idea. And so their view is they ship at a cadence that is probably unparalleled in AI from a product sense. And that is a similar, but like slightly a different thing, which is they're testing these hypotheses, but they're, they're not hypotheses. They're just testing them in real time. And they built an organization that is small, but nimble and is able to very quickly continue to tinker. As an investor, that's like a terrifying idea. Cause like, I don't have a view of like, which idea is good or not and which is best. And I like to be very like meticulous and planned and blah, blah, blah. As a builder, Chris would probably say, and, and he's, you know, far better at his job than I am at mine. He would say like, that's, it's great that you want to have that, but the reality of where we are today in this moment in time means that actually velocity of ideas and velocity of execution is what matters to be able to outcompete an industry that has such a high velocity of activation energy around it that like, it's just kind of a, a pointless exercise to think through these things. There's like, those are, that's an oversimplification. They were building, creating AI in 2017 and they banged that answer wall for five years until things really started working. So it's obviously there was some planning involved, but I just think that those are like the different ways in which people can think about building in some of these spaces that have different dynamics of capital intensity adoption and like, I don't know, technical barriers to entry. You're right. Like the phase of the industry matters a lot to relative to your question and particularly like this idea of where, how, how much solution versus problem matters in terms of the psychological approach to, to building, you know, the later stage markets and industries problem matters a lot more and investors are going to want you to have handles on narrow problems in real markets at earlier stages investors, you know, like Mike, Michael has said that looking for a bunch of boots that may or may not pan out over a longer period of time, but they want to be early. And so having that clear in your mind as a founder, which part of the market cycle you're building in and adjusting the way that you, you kind of operationalize internally to build for that's really important. If you're, if you are early in a cycle, then the solutioneering can probably work because no one has the answer and the problems haven't been fully like 
organized. If you're building later and you're looking kind of, you know, more business model oriented, then you want to be more problem focused. Um, cause investors will be looking for that too. I'd say that just to kind of build on what Michael said, that approach, I think from runway is something that is probably right. And as iteration cycles get faster and they are extremely fast now, you know, being able to iterate quickly is really important and you might not be able to do that in the same way that historically has happened where you, where you build a, a, a hypothesis out and you test it in a kind of robust way over time. But I would, I would say like, that's also very dangerous. If you're a new founder and you try to build in that way, you have to have an extremely high amount of discipline about killing things and also you have to have an organizational structure that can operate that way and not many, not many cultures can operate that way. And so while it, I think it can be very valuable in, in early markets, I'd caution anyone who's like first time founder, maybe don't try this at home. Or if you do like be really aware, um, of what you're stepping into and the implications of that. And, and I think the intellectual honesty is, is really yeah. important internally. I think the yeah. difficulty of crypto that I've, I've struggled with is that we all believe it's going to be big in some form and very few people articulate the actual specificity of how whatever they're working on doesn't just effectively play as beta to the entire market getting big. That's, that, that's a good point. I think that it's also one where like, given the choice between like, let's say you had like like a, a founder sin of over planning versus a founder sin of, you know, over iterating. I think the one who over iterates is much more likely to succeed than the one who over plans. I also think that like, that's like all the talk about, you know, like ideas and frameworks and stuff is kind of like, I like useful from a theory perspective to be sure. But I think that, yeah, literally shipping is the most important thing. Like when I ship a side project that can usually tell within one to two weeks, if it'll take off or not, when I ship something for the company, it's usually like one month if it's really taking off three months on average, like six months to see that something's not working. And yeah, just getting things out. I think everything else is kind of irrelevant besides that. The worst ideas are the ones that never shipped. <laughs> you know, like, I'd rather ship a bad idea than not ship a good one. Um, yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe we can, uh, this is a good, I, there was a, I was reading some of my earlier articles last night. I thought this quote pretty good. It's what we're talking about. The base of innovation means having the time to see validating data will be nearly impossible. And thus teams must build ahead of feedback loops from failed user data. Because of this, feedback must have tighter timelines. Experiments must be cut off faster. And likely teams must build in a more speculative manner in an effort to skate where the proverbial puck is going before others do so. That was great. And I, I think we're talking about killing experiments, which... I think we we sounds good, really hard to do, very hard to do in practice. And I think the not just like sun cost, but I think maybe will. I, I think you put it in a good way, which is like, yeah, if you're if you're maybe launching a side project that's meant to be fun and cool and consumery, like yeah, you know, like when it hits, maybe a week or two. A lot of stuff that people are building, you know, maybe their longer term things, it's actually hard to know, like. You know, is it, should I have a one month cadence for those things? And if it's not, you know, successful in a month, I kill it. Should I have a six month? And that depends entirely on probably the kind of thing it is, the kind of company you are, the kind of I problem. I think you might get different, different kinds of feedback, like Will, but like Will said, shipping iteratively is important in that context. Like 
even if you're building an idea that may not have a market, because it is such an early stage on the thesis that's down the track, you might not get the kind of data that you would, you would necessarily get in a, in a hot active market because there is low interest around it. It doesn't mean people shouldn't build for those problems, but you definitely had to approach that in a different way. And you have to have VCs behind you that think in that time on those timescales and, and, you know, deeply believe the underlying thesis that you're talking about, but, but, and still in that moment, getting shit out and having even a small number of people interact with that and getting feedback on it is super important. And, and I think that's also one of the super really powerful things about around web three is this kind of community feedback loop. And so even, you know, even if you've got a thousand people interacting with your product, you know, you're getting that feedback that tells you whether you're onto something or not, even if it plays out over a longer period of time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the other thing I was going to say is I think like in a hot market, you have to think about product iterations like viral TikToks. Unfortunately, it's kind of like a bit yuck that that's where things are at because, and I'd like to think that having a, a more scientific approach to building is the right way to go. But we live in the attention economy and crypto is the liquid attention economy if you're building in that in that space and so you know in a market that is gaining a lot of attention and capital the the success you know the success of those things can often happen in the same kind of cycle as a viral social post you know it's either going to catch or it's not and the next person's launching the next post imminently and that one could you know take the wind out of your sail. And so it is a very interesting model to cut, to, to be building in and investing in because times have changed quite a bit in terms of how fast things move and how quickly you can understand whether a market is there or not for your product. Yeah. I, I sometimes think like when I talk to builders that seem to do this really well, that it's less about like having some really prescribed framework about when to kill, you know, something it's, it's also, it may be more like it's sort of like shiny object syndrome, which is like, you know, how exciting are the things to you that you would build if you were to, you know, kill or have more bandwidth that isn't just pushing the boulder up the hill of your current thing. And, you know, at some point, like that desire to go and build that thing that's more interesting to you just kind of like naturally kills the other thing. Will, I'm curious because you feel like you have a really nice and healthy shiny object syndrome in, in the best way possible. Like, what what is do you have any sort of like framework for for that like you know at what point do you say that hey this side project or something is cool enough like i'm gonna go out and do it so you've been building a company at the same time during a lot of this yeah yeah i mean the side projects are in my mind a way to learn about things further out than what is relevant to the company so it's much more to inform what i do there's no point where i'd ever spin a side project out into a separate business. I have a primary focus. The way I'd view it is like Constitution DAO, for example. I don't believe that Constitution DAO itself is the future of how people will bid on auctions for fine art and collectibles. It was very, very difficult to set up. It had, there was a lot of things we had to do in like the Sotheby's compliance process. There's, but what it showed was that there is some incredible power of crowd coordination. And that crowd coordination is a really interesting kernel that we started to um, think about on the company side. Um, likewise, Adventure Gold showed, uh, we actually rewrote our entire protocol um, after I wrote Adventure Gold, um, where our V1 protocol was basically a uh, fund management protocol. 
Um, and then our V2 protocol was much more flexible because we were like, oh, there's a lot of very interesting token types that are related to these communities that aren't strictly funds and, and, and we, our, our protocol should be much more flexible than that. So each time I've worked on these things, we've actually had really, really significant ways it informs the business. That being said, like if I were not running a business and we're trying to find the right business to found, I would be doing it via side projects. I'd launch one, I'd have a two week timeline for it to catch on. If it doesn't catch on, I'd launch the next. And it's not like you're throwing everything away. I mean, you're throwing most of the code away, but the ideas that you learn will keep, will keep going and will help you continue to iterate. Yeah. I mean, maybe like, do you have any, one, one of the things that I wonder about is it, it's like, if your iteration cycles are fast and your iteration cycles are like incrementally better every time, then it's like, you're guaranteed to be super successful, right? It's like a pounding return. And, and so like people talk a lot about, you, you know, iterating quickly and moving through ideas really quickly, but maybe less about like, what are these threads that you can carry between ideas? I think community is, is one of them. So like attention, right? Like if you are, you know, you well are able to ship an idea in two weeks because you have people that care about the ideas that you ship. A lot of people don't have that, which means that your ideas maybe take two months to ship because you have to spend, you know, six weeks trying to find people to use them. So I think naming people like one of the engines to build for yourself is like, you know, what is the way that you can not just iterate really quickly, but have some sort of like persistent machines that could help you satisfy those, like finding early users, whatever it ends up being. I think people maybe don't spend enough time building that as a product for themselves. If, if like that is kind of the thing that they're trying to do. Yeah. Related That's to that. A really um, good, I, really good point. Yeah. I think that drafting on existing communities is super powerful. Like before I launched Adventure Gold, I mean, you know, like people knew about Syndicate, we had some background, but like it, I, I wouldn't say I had like a reputation for building side projects at that point, but Luke got really big. Adventure Gold got really big at the same time. And then that brought lots of attention to it. So like there's likely existing communities that everyone's in where you can draft on that attention. Maybe it's, you know, indie hacker communities, maybe it's AI or crypto communities, but like I, there was no audience building for Adventure Gold. They literally posted in the discord. I announced it in a clubhouse chat and then everything just kind of took care of itself. So yeah, I think that, uh, getting attention the first time is really hard. There are existing communities that will help. And then once you do so, it becomes a lot easier the next time around. I think to like, kind of put a point on what you said and what Will said and has been saying is like, you can do all those things, right, Joey, but unfortunately serendipity plays a big role in success in startups. And this isn't just like something I've like made up this, like Harvard studies on this stuff that the difference between like a successful business and a not successful business is like a good portion of that is luck. And so if we kind of loop that back into the conversation we've been having, you know, if you spin the dice more often, maybe you'll get more lucky. That's probably the outcome. And, and so, you know, thinking about that, particularly in the context of an economy where idea iteration and delivery is like speeding up and, and times and frames are shortening, just kind of focusing on, on that as a point, you know, this idea that success comes from iterating is probably a good one because it, it probably increases your chance of hitting a lucky strike. And that's probably something to keep in mind as well. The, the, only, the only thing I'd push on on this, and I think I see this in crypto a lot and we've definitely seen an AI the past 12 months is building something short-term interesting has almost no correlation to building something long-term valuable in my opinion. And I think a lot of people get really caught up in building short-term interesting things. And I think that's the 
in my mind, the biggest problem with crypto, like full stop. And so I, I think that it's the, the downside of the culture of shipping iteratively and having this view of like, how do I test experiments that work is if there isn't an un, a through line of consistent like R&D and improving every given experiment, you're kind of just like, I don't know, you're building like a, yeah, hyping studio maybe. And like, I, and that, that's, I think, kind of some of the, the difficulties I see. I think AI has shown that there's a million things that get really, really interesting short term. And then eventually everyone becomes kind of tired of it and just like uses midterm. And so I think that there are people should think about that also in the, in the concept of where markets are. But I generally think like, Frameworks and building companies should exist basically the same in bull and bear markets. Yeah, I think that that's right. Like the, the iterative building has to be for a purpose. It's not just for doing it for doing sake. And in Futurebus, we have like a, we've separated research and innovation from the core business. They operate differently. They have a different cadence. They have different goals. They have a different leadership structure, but they're organized around core problems that we want to solve that are based on our core thesis. And so they have a high degree of flexibility. They can iterate very quickly. They can try a lot of things, but, but those things are bound within a direction that the future verse is headed in. They're not just kind of completely abstracted from that. And, and the way that, you know, we measure success in those things is aligned to how we're trying to solve the bigger problem that we're trying to solve. And so I think that that statement is true. You need to, there needs to be a, an underlying goal you're trying to achieve, which you're iterating on top of if, if you're trying to build a business, um, if you're trying to find ideas, you know, like Will was talking about earlier, then that's kind of a different mode. But if you're, if you're trying to, if you, if you're trying to build on a thesis you have, it has to be organized around learning from those things to propel you forward and to help you make decisions about what you do and don't do and to understand the competitive landscape that exists that you're operating in and all of those kinds of things. Yeah, it feels like one of those things that it's like, yes, and it's kind of both because I also think it's, I, I'm not sure what the relative percentages are, are, but I think they're at least in crypto as well. Like we probably all know so many projects that were long-term interesting, short-term not interesting. Like you know, some grand vision of the world and coordination and, you know, so I like really cool people thinking about really cool problems and just like not something that's going to get traction. And th those things are also in the graveyard. So I think it's like, y you kind of need both, at least like that's the, they have to all exist because like no one knew, like we can sit here as, you know, subject matter experts and lord our own capabilities, but actually no one knew, like no one knew because. I mean, you could, you could have said, maybe I had a hunch that this was or wasn't going to scale or, or land, but it could have, it could have got lucky too. And so I think, I can't remember who said it earlier, but just like all of these things kind of have to happen to find the ones that are going to happen because it's part of the evolutionary process. And even if something wasn't successful, there's a very good chance that people learned from that lack of success in some way, whether it was don't do that because that's dumb or it was, oh, do that part of it work. Let's take that part out and, and, and build on that idea or that piece of code or whatever it happened to be. And so we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't look at those entirely with a negative, negative view because that collective success is coming out of. The, you know, the dumb ideas that didn't make it as well. And I think part of being a VC is like recognizing that, that 
exists as well. And that being comfortable with that, that existing, that you might be wrong, but that it might advance your thinking or it might tell you where you're, where you are wrong. You know, no one wants to make a bet that doesn't succeed and, and everyone who puts an investment into a company thinks they've understood the thesis well enough that they're right in that. Um, but history would show you and the numbers would show you that we're mostly wrong. I do think that there is, there is a balance here, which is that having some North Star often from science fiction, but it could be anything that you want to see exist in the world, like is very powerful. And then, uh, and then which iteration of the product and what type of approach, I mean, it's a combination of luck and skill, but luck definitely plays a role in terms of like, for example, like the way to balance that, I think that like, if, if I had zero, if I had not launched anything publicly before, I had zero reputation, I had zero background. I would probably find an idea in science fiction that I'm completely obsessed with. I would then go find a community that's very active in supporting builders and crypto. That's probably, for example, right now, the Farcaster community. I'd probably go to the Farcaster community. And if I had a thesis, if I just wrote Damon and I had a thesis about autonomous agents, DAOs of coordination tools, I'd probably build a Farcaster, build a Farcaster enabled product that lets autonomous agents coordinate on a forecaster. And then that would be enough to get it attention. And then from there, I could just continue to iterate. I'm sure there's examples in AI too, like the mid-journey community, I would assume is pretty tight-knit. It tends to be early adopters of new products or like stable diffusion communities. But I think that it's it's very possible to balance these things in practice, including speed of iteration without um, any prior connections or background. Totally. Yeah, if I, if I had to distill like the learning there, which I think is really you know, powerful, is like, Having some, you know, big long-term goal and then like, can you pull that thing back to something that's small enough that is like, you know, interesting enough in the short term in the market that you can start learning and building iteration. So that's why I kind of mean it's, it's both. Like if all you have is like that the short-term thing that's interesting, like, yeah, you're, you're going to run into a wall. And if all you have is the long-term thing, like you're just never going to get anywhere. So I think people like, you know, yeah, great example of if you're building a barcaster, even if you're, if you're building something on like a protocol. Even if it's not like your grand ambition, like you're going to get support from that team and that community. And that is so meaningful for, for a lot of builders and maybe gets you some reps on, on the idea that you have in your head and maybe gets you closer to whatever the big kind of version of it is. There's another great thing about Web3, like is that there's this kind of, kind of tribal thing going on, but that builds, you know, the ability to, to have community that will engage with something in an early stage, but. But also this whole grounds ecosystem and public goods ecosystem that exists for people that are building inside of those existing communities to support people who are putting ideas out that are early stage and may not have found PMS yet. You know, it's something that isn't really that's available out, outside of the Web3 community and traditional VC. So really something to take advantage of and it will's, will's point in terms of drafting on other communities or other protocols that are looking for people to like provide, you know, something else to play with or something else to kind of build value on top of what they've built is a really good way to start. Yeah. I mean, maybe one question is like, do you think there's anything we, we talked about a little bit at the beginning, but you know, subjects that people should be deep diving on and, you know, things that, that, you know, builders can add to their toolkit right now. Anything that you think would be interesting for people to just be looking into as they, especially as they look for kind of the right, like early version of what, what we're talking about. And maybe if you don't have a good response to that one, here's a, actually another, actually pretty interesting question. Reputation systems in, in Web3, everyone has a good, a good take on 
on this one. Yeah, who wants to jump in? Eventually it'll matter. I'm like so far away from like thinking that's the most interesting place to spend time right now. I, th- totally I think you need to like fix digital identity in a scalable way for that to matter. That's my view because that's kind of an application built on that bedrock and we just haven't crossed the, that barrier yet where we've got like universally accepted identity, digital identity protocols yet. It'll come, it'll happen, it'll happen, but it's just so, yeah, like Will's. I think like, sorry, Mike said it's a long way away. Yeah. I think there's many implicit replication systems and making a, trying to formalize it tends to work really poorly because everyone looks at different things. So something could pull it off to be interesting, but yeah. Yeah. I always find it interesting how many projects, like when they talk about like the long-term vision and some version of, of this, like we are the defining reputation system for X. And it's, there's got to be something to read into that, that it's just like maybe too many projects have that as their lofty, you know, ambition. And I don't know where it's actually going to come from, but anyways, I, I cut you off. I didn't, anyone had anything that, you know, deep diving into at the moment as well. All my things are like weird. Like we're really into biosecurity right now, genetic editing. We think all the language models, sometimes robots is interesting. VR, we think is like really cool. I'm sure Aaron's amped about that stuff. Yeah. And then like for crypto, my main feedback or my main like view of the world outside of maybe DeFi is like, I, I think it's like, I'm, I'm almost viewing this is maybe like that religious to say, and maybe the opposite of will, but like, I almost don't care about the existing communities that are in crypto. I want people who want to do things to build new communities. And I think a lot of this framing of like, you have to find where there are people is possibly good and this is possibly being said from like a more privileged position of where some people have distribution but like if you have something interesting enough in crypto because there are so few interesting things people will find it and i think that that thus means like people should just work on building creative solutions that can interest more than people who know what metamask is maybe it's like simple cutoff yeah, I agree. I, I, I think like that's, I mean, first of all, like, I think that, I think that in crypto, like there's people, builders have very, very different levels of conviction in what they're building. Like I've had conviction around DAOs for a long time. Like we happened to time the DAO market cycle very well, but you know, had we not, we would have kept going for multiple years anyway. I think there's builders who have less conviction either because they have less history in the space or they're not as confident of their own ability to brainstorm and execute. And I think in that case, like the existing communities and drafting on that is really important. I'm thinking of Jeff's question of like, how do you validate an idea within just a few weeks? Like if you have low confidence in your idea or like you have low confidence in, in, in the space, like finding an existing community and drafting off that is really, really valuable. You have to apply confidence, a lot of capital, existing distribution, like advantages, frankly, um, like, like unfair advantages that people like to talk about. You could totally work in, in your own direction for three to five years before anyone notices that it's valuable. And then you're so far ahead that nothing else really matters. So like if someone has, you know, a lot of time, I think they should think longer term. I think it is a really strong advantage if they need to really get something going to build confidence themselves, to raise money, et cetera. Yeah. I think that, I think those shorter term time scales are justified in that case. I think, yeah. Is there something in the middle between like what Mike said and what Will said is like, I, I would, I would say that if you're fresh out the gate, do what you can, like there's no right answer there. If it's drafting off to an existing community and that's the way you get your first eyeballs, then do that. If you think you can put something out there and someone will notice, then do that. Like 
there's no right, right, exactly right answer there. The, the, the outcome is what the right answer is, which is just have it ship something and get it in front of someone so that they can have a look at it and tell you whether you're onto something or not. And actually, sometimes they'll tell you that you're not and you might still be right. That's a really hard thing about being a founder or an investor, actually, is that particularly if you're early in a market, most people will tell you that you're crazy. But if you have like strong conviction in the thing that you're heading towards, then, you know, people telling you that you're crazy or not giving you feedback shouldn't stop you either. And it's a really tricky thing because you're tossing up this kind of, should I kill an idea early because it's wrong or have I just got conviction in something that people haven't noticed yet? And threading that needle is often the difference between success and failure for a founder. And it's a really hard thing to do because the nuance between either side of that is generally very small. And, and often the success we see from founders has come down, down to their ability to survive, you know, have conviction and survive to a point where everyone else recognizes what they're doing is, is right. I think VCs in general, investors in general, we'll just call VCs actually specifically, are like quite dumb and easily to easy to be skewed in a bunch of different ways if you build a good narrative and and thus like this idea of like nobody believes in what i believe and like you have to have you have to build in these times when nobody can believe in it i think it's totally fair i and i think it can be very annoying i will say if you can't convince one person like when you're when everyone there's a lot of dumb people it means that there is also something wrong with how you are telling your story and so i think that we have entered a point where we have, we look at like all these insufferable VCs on Twitter and it's like this collective hive mind is just so stupid and I'm the smart one. And I agree. And then I also will say, but also your pitch probably is broken in some form because this is not a like, you don't have to public market clear a bunch of markets. You have to convince one person to give you money. And so always have that framing where I think a lot of the times people, yeah. especially yeah. in seeing crypto and in deep tech have that kind of like, oh, like they just don't get it. And like, that's not yeah. really a great excuse because you also have- You haven't just, you just haven't sold it. I think also there's one question here from Vlad about open source defensibility. Highly recommend. Michael has an awesome post about this. I think that was, came out pretty recently, at least on open source AI models and kind of the, the market dynamics there. And obviously something that we, you know, think a lot about, we have a ton of open source projects in, in the cohort, but so check that out and let's, let's leave it here. So yeah, thank. Thank you all for, for joining us. Thanks for everyone watching. Thanks for people that are tuning in. And yeah, we'll be back here again next week with some more awesome, awesome guests. So appreciate it, guys. Thanks, everyone.